You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and today we are joined by a very special guest. He is known by many names, the Maven, the Sheriff of the Wild West of Cannabis. You may know him from New Cannabis Ventures. I know him from his work on 420 Investor. Uh, I call him AB and his name is Alan Brockstein. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be back again. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, the last time we chatted, I believe, was late December, mid-December um, of last year. And a lot has happened since then. Yeah, Georgia to start with, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, Georgia, you know, GameStop, you know, the burning yeah, of right. shorts. The, <laughs> and, and, I mean, so much has happened between now and then. Um and, you know, Alan, maybe if just for people who don't know, you could just give a quick background on, on kind of who you are and, and what 420 Investor and New Cannabis Venture are. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm a very lucky person. I happen to be in the right place at the right time eight years ago, which people in the cannabis industry will tell you is literally like five decades ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so I, I've been following the space uh, since early 2013. I started 420 Investor. Later that year, leveraging on uh, some work I had done with uh, retail investors, uh, I guess I should back up one moment. My background was uh, portfolio management and uh, trading and research analysis, probably my favorite one being the, the last one. And uh, so I, I'd been doing working with a bunch of uh, small money managers as an independent research person when I stumbled into this space. And like I said, part of what I was doing was also working with retail investors. Started 420 Investor to help people make sense out of this wild west. And uh, uh, and then two years later, although at the time it seemed like a lot longer, but it was literally uh, in 2015, uh, I started uh, with my partner, Joel, New Cannabis Ventures, which uh, is, is open to the public as opposed to 420 Investor, which is a subscription service. But the goal was it was pretty similar. It was to shine a light on the good parts of the industry and to ignore, uh, to serve as a filter for the industry for everybody, you know, ignoring all the noise that's out there. So that's New Cannabis Ventures, right? And then yep. maybe you can share with people a little bit about uh, 420 Investor and, and what, you know, what, that you say it's a subscription service, but what actually is it? Maybe yeah, sure. So, and it's been pretty consistent uh, the, the last, the, the whole time, but the last few uh, months, I'd say actually since COVID hit, I think I've really stepped up some of the deliverables, but it's not just because of me, it's really the industry. So what I do is, uh, uh, I think primarily what I do is, keep people informed. Uh, I have a focus list. I follow 30 names, but I, I really follow uh, probably another 50 names as well. I try to keep my subscribers informed of what's going on with the companies, share my opinions when I have them, share my projections when I'm able to do so as well. I I do 10 videos a week. The most popular one's probably the weekend video, which 
runs anywhere from two to sometimes as long as four hours. Uh, I have some model portfolios that uh, I, I know some people copy them, but for most, I think they serve really as just uh, uh, ways to help them think about how they should invest their own money. Uh, and those have real-time trade alerts. Uh, we have a, an extensive forum where uh, I'm able to share my thoughts, share other information as well, and where members can also weigh in and ask questions and share their information. Uh, we have a, a chat uh, on Tuesday nights, Toking, Toking Tuesday, uh, yep. where people can ask questions. Uh, I hope I didn't leave anything out, but but really, you know, it's it's great. We, I have people who are sometimes literally newbies when it comes to not just the cannabis space, but to investing. So sure. we're worked with a lot of people who've never invested uh, to a lot of my subscribers are some of the most active uh, professional investors in the industry. And they just, mm -hmm. you know, they feel like they're getting great real time uh, color from me. And mm -hmm. then I also have some of the operators in the industry that they, they like to keep tabs on the competition. Sure, sure. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and Abby and I are both subscribers as well on there. So um, certainly I, I'll, you know, I know you're a modest guy, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a plug here. Um, you know, the, I think it works out to like $50 a month for the service, but you pay, you know, one time annual fee. Um, I can't really think of a better value investors in our shoes can get for $50 a month. Uh, very honestly, Al. And, and the well, way I'm I glad to hear that because I always thought it was crazy having <laughs> never done it. But you know what? I, I, I'm going to be fair to myself and, and respectful to your comment. I, I think you're right, actually. I think if you think about it from the sense of a lot of people come into the space, they, they don't know the landmines uh, and they lose a lot of money very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, uh, you know the way human nature works. And I had... Right. Uh, a record, uh, well, I don't want to say record because I think in early 2014, uh, that was more record. But the, the most number of new signups was uh, in February of, of this year. And I was mm -hmm. telling people, uh, this is not a great time. I said, look, I get it. I, I'm glad you showed up. Thanks for subscribing. But be careful. It's not a great time to be buying these stocks. And here's why. So, I mean, to, to be able to save people money, but uh, is certainly a big part of it, but uh, you know, there's there's a lot of added value in terms of when something happens. A lot of people want to know quickly: is it important? Should I sell? Should I buy? And mm -hmm. I, I think that you know, especially in this day of you're not paying anything to to trade anymore. So, mm -hmm. but anyway, well, I'll, that. so so that uh, you touched on a really interesting point I was going to bring up later, but. You know, so I've essentially to me what 420i is, it's like looking over your shoulder and getting to see inside your brain and how you think about the industry. Um, you know, you're a CFA, so you analyze all the filings as soon as they come out. So it, you get the feeling like, okay, I'm not going to miss anything major because, you know, if something major was to happen, like let's say, you know, New Mexico legalizes and that's right. not something I might have noticed on my own, but I know I'm not going to miss that through your service, right? But one thing... You said to me, actually, when we first did, when we did our first podcast is you said, you know, people are really used to free and they don't want to pay even if the paying is $50 a month. And it's to me, it's kind of amazing that people will show up and put, you know, thousands, um, if not tens of thousands or more of their money into the market, but then they won't not willing to pay, you know, a small amount, 
which could you know potentially help them miss huge pitfalls or make better decisions or even just find one name that they that they did not uh, pay attention to otherwise. Yeah, good point. I I mean I, I got to tell you, and I don't ever take credit for this because honestly, I think these people are crazy. But people have used my research to make extreme bets on names, and they've made a million dollars. I mean, there are people that make. I mean, calculate that return on investment. Now, I, like I said, I'm not <laughs> going to take credit for it, and I don't think I would ever do what they do, but they go all in on what they think is my highest conviction idea, which I think is dangerous, but, uh, you know, no refunds either. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't even need to be that extreme. I mean, this is something we'll talk about a little bit later, but, um, you know, I never would have, I think, entered uh, the position of GrowGen. You know, Grogen was a company that I sort of knew. Okay, it's ancillary. I met with met with the management. You know, and it was it was something that you really highlighted the importance of. Hey, this ancillary company, which is leveraged to MSOs and trades on the Nasdaq, and I think at the time it was like you know seven or eight bucks, and they did an offering at five fifty. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, so I bought it at seven, maybe eight, and I took you know I didn't have a huge position, but I had a taste of it, and I mean it just that thing took off like a rocket ship. And, you know, uh, I and I was blue in the face. For, I mean, I covered that thing from day one, and it took so long to play out. I had, uh, and this is what I love about my position: that I get to hear all the, 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 the sentiment. And people were like, "Why do you keep this stupid company on the focus?" <laughs> and I, I love that. That eggs me on when I hear that kind of. Discussion. Is that a good sign when you? When you oh hear yeah, that? yeah. I'm being serious because it is. Yes, there, there no, is an idea I'm of being contrarian. Serious too. No, I, I'm maybe I'm overly contrarian sometimes, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, when I hear too much, too much praise and or too much disdain, uh, uh, look, it's nothing's automatic, but it's certainly I, I value that negative feedback. I really do. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you when you hear that negative feedback? What is that telling you? It's telling me how the common person is thinking, pretty much, and so. I get the common investor and, you know, sometimes I act like one myself. We all do. Yeah, we all, you know, we, we are all, if you think about who's our enemy, I, I might've talked to you about this before, but we're our own worst enemy. And, Look in uh, the mirror. Exactly. And so I think, you know, when I think about myself and when I think about others, I think impatience is maybe <clears throat> one of the mm. worst traits. And, you know, I've been trying to, and, and, you know, and I'm thinking about, kind of the value I add. Uh, I'm, I think I'm very honest in, in my criticisms of myself and I, I, listening to you, I think it must be kind of neat for people on my Saturday videos, especially to kind of get inside my brain. My brain's not going to get everything right, but I'm pretty mm -hmm. good at telling people how I'm looking at things. And so, so I, I really do like to say, look, here's a huge position I have and it's not working and it's mm -hmm. okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. why? Because uh, there's a really good chance that it's going to work and I'm going to sleep very well until then because I feel comfortable with the story as opposed to a lot of people like these momentum stories that, mm -hmm. and they can work. I'm not here to tell you that that style is, is bad because it can work, but it wouldn't work for me. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, owning a stock, you know, owning a free at, at, at 40 on the way to 50 or what, you know, whatever it is, mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I would sell it at 40 and, you know, I might look stupid. I have looked stupid for selling out too early. It's just, that's not the way I process things. 
Sure. So, so I think what you touched on is really uh, what I wanted to emphasize today, which I find so fascinating is that, you know, again, if we think about the last podcast we did until now, it feels like if we, if we think about sentiment and momentum, right, it feels like we've gone through two different sort of waves, right? We mm-hmm. had the, the up leg, right? So January, Georgia, everything, you know, started picking up steam, I think rightfully so. And then the GameStop madness that caused shorts to back off of everything, and some of the most shorted stocks were Canadian LPs, which, you know, as shorts backed away, those stocks went through the roof. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at, you know, these charts, something like fe- between mid-Feb to end of Feb was kind of that peak, you know, that peak spike. And then, you know, it's been almost like a slow bleed since then. And, and you know, a date that stands out, I, th- I think you call it the 420 massacre. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, was it, followed up with the five thirteen massacre. <laughs> had, it, uh, April and May were very similar with these uh, mid month uh, small cap massacres that rolled into our market. And gosh, that's a. But I don't think you're going where I'm about to go. But you know, how the hell do you trade when Bitcoin drops twenty five percent over the course of two or three days? And you know mm-hmm. that people that trade cannabis stocks. A lot of them own Bitcoin. They're they're getting hurt. And what are they going to do with their cannabis stocks? Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem like they're going to go buy them. And, you know, it's really I and I don't have an answer. I just like mm-hmm. to be aware of what's going on and, you know, try to take advantage of, of anything that's extreme, the volatility, any extreme volatility. that's mm-hmm. not really because, you know, if you have a, a really uh, bullish long term view, which uh, I think. I've never felt better about where the industry is. I've always been extremely cautious. And, uh, and so it's been very pleasant for me really since last May to, to be able to say I've never felt better about where the industry is. And that helps to be able to sit through these periods or to be prepared to take advantage of that volatility. But I, I want to share something with your audience because yeah, we had that spike from February 10th down, uh, up into February 10th, and then mm-hmm. the, the parabolic decline. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Almost all of the pain, in, at least for the American companies, was literally in the next three weeks. And we've been flatlining since then. It's been really mm-hmm. interesting. They, those stocks didn't go up as much. And you know, you have the I don't want to call them cheerleaders, but everybody talks their position. And so you had a lot of envy. The, the Ben Kovlers of the world, the Boris mm-hmm. Jordans of the world, they were upset mm-hmm. because they see – and I'm upset only because I'm a rational person. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are people buying Tilray because mm-hmm. of legalization? It's the wrong answer, yet it's going on. And I think, so, you, I think you called this the mistaken identity trade? Something like that. The false narrative, I called it, but yours right. is better. <laughs> that so might have been Abby's. Sorry, I might be, I might be yeah. giving you Mistaken Abby's Mistaken identity right. is great, but it, it, yeah. it all comes down to, you know, uh, there's no uh, test that you have to pass or amount of money you necessarily have to pay to be able to – you don't need a license, in other words. And you can do whatever you want with your money, and you don't have to be informed. And so the truth of the matter is liquidity trumps fundamentals uh, uh, at this time. And liquidity goes to the NASDAQ names. And those include not only the LPs, but like you said, Grogen or Hydrofarm or what have you. So I've learned from this. uh, You know, I've been through these crazy times before and they're Mm -hmm. they're never going to be the same. 
you know, I knew that what was going on in early 2014, I know this is before you were following the market closely, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that people were buying companies that like literally didn't even have a headquarters or assets or cash or anything. And they were capitalizing some of these when you looked at their share structures at a billion dollars. And I mean, the companies wow. were nothing. And wow. so you knew that wouldn't end well. But anyway, uh, so but, yeah, the market made a mistake this time, mm. Manish. It really but, did. So let's so let's get into this idea of sentiment, right? Is um, because I you know I listened to all your videos and it was really interesting to hear you talking to all the new subscribers, right? And you shared last time, you know, we'll talk about the four legs of the stool. You know, one of them is sentiment, right? And you talked about how going into the end of last year, the fundamentals were improving, but you know, sentiment wasn't you know, it wasn't really boiling over. We weren't having tons of new buyers come into the market, but that did seem to start happening in January and especially in February. Yep. And so it was fascinating to hear all these people who just, you know, you know, got out their credit card, paid for your subscription service, come in, they're ready to make all their money. And the first video they hear, you know, from, from that day is, is Alan Broxley telling them, welcome to the service. This is not a great time to be joining, uh, you know, curb your enthusiasm essentially yeah you know there's there's a lot of cr and i and i can only imagine the people joining must have been like what the hell you know like, my this money is not back <laughs> yeah like, this is what i signed up for right so <laughs> can you talk about that a little bit because it, it was really interesting to me i'd never heard you kind of say that before in the two years that i've been a member yeah well i mean i gotta tell you the last couple of years has been pretty brutal when it comes to running a subscription service and uh you know the market peaked uh in march of 19 right uh, or, or April, depending on what you're looking at. And we went into a, a one-year bear market in the United States. I, I would say the Canadian bear market, the way I look at it, was more like two years, depending on if you're looking at most LPs, that's correct. And so I was kind of used to people just not caring. In, in a bear market or when prices are going down, I get it. Yeah, uh, I get it. I mean, Retail investors in general are never going to buy into a, a bear market uh, unless they are already bought into the bull market that preceded it. But hmm. there, there's not going to be new people showing up buying in a bear market. They want to see prices going up. So prices started going up, I mean, in March, right? Literally in March, right at the lows. And they started going up, but I'm sure anybody- You're, saying, tw you're saying 2020? Yeah, last year. Right, okay. Prices started going up last March, a year ago. Mm -hmm. And the problem- for the cannabis space was, well, it wasn't just our prices going up. Everything was going back sure. up. So who was going to notice that? And I, I, I think I had maybe one of my best calls in, in the whole time I've been doing this. And I don't think I was necessarily unique, but it, it was not easy to, to come to the conclusion when I did. I wish I had been right in March at the very low saying, hey, this is the future, everybody. Get excited, mm -hmm. but no, mm -hmm. that was impossible. But it really almost as early as I think it was possible in in May by uh, the first third of May. I think it was May eleventh, something like that. May May ninth, eighth, mm -hmm. somewhere in there. It just hit me that think you know this thing that we think is terrible, and I I saw all the bad things the pandemic could do to our industry, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it hit me. It's like wait a second. No, this is good. In mm -hmm. you know, essential services, you know, being called an essential service and mm -hmm. finding out that 
all of a sudden curbside delivery and sure. curbside and delivery were permitted options when they never been permitted. And you start mm-hmm. to think about, you know, what leverage the legal cannabis industry would have over the consumer, given that the consumer preferences like those types of things. And uh, yeah, the illicit market has delivery, but they don't have online ordering. <laughs> so, sure, sure. So anyway, uh, so I, I, I watched with kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm so jaded about the retail investor. It makes me sad that when prices are low, you can't find them. And when the mm-hmm. prices are high, they're all around. So in any event, I watched it play out through the year as, as it was becoming more and more obvious that things were going well. I had a, a, a view that the elections were going to be a good time to be a cannabis investor, not, not knowing what was going to happen necessarily with with the presidency or the senate but more mm-hmm. on arizona and new jersey that was really right. my my angle yep and yet in the fourth quarter no people were not joining my service really uh mm-hmm. we have uh new cannabis ventures has a, a free newsletter uh we're up to sixty thousand five hundred. we had plateaued at uh fifty nine thousand for a long long time and it wasn't budging in the fourth quarter, it was just sitting at mm. 59,000. So, and it, uh, you know, and so our growth basically went from, uh, I don't know, 40, 50% per year. And all of a sudden we're just flatlining in the best bull market that I've ever seen for the mm-hmm. space, most sustainable bull market. So yeah, sentiment was not, and that was a good thing for me because that told me that we could go higher, uh, that, that, the last person had not joined uh, yet. So, right. And so on that, and by the way, you, you shared that your proprietary info there, I, I would like to tell you something I don't think I've ever mentioned, which is that, um, you know, I looked at uh, our, our analytics on the, uh, on the podcast and the listens ah. and, and uh, you know, the chart, it has a nice little chart kind yeah. of, you know, over time, it almost perfectly follows the stocks. Exactly. <laughs> you were to, so you know, when you're like, fiving with, with Abby about how, popular you guys are right. you be selling your stocks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny because it, you know, we had this big run up in February sustains itself for maybe two or three weeks. And then it slowly just starts coming back to normal where I think we're, we're probably, you know, we were probably higher than we were in December by, I don't know the number of 20 or 30%. Um, but we're back to what I would consider to be more of the core, you know, group of investors as opposed to the, you know, the casual looky lose. Right. But I, I wanted to ask you about that specifically, right? This, the mentality of the retail investor, because, you know, to me, this is one of my first times seeing this really rapid rise and fall and this huge swing in, in outlook, right? From euphoria to now, it's, for some people, it feels like depression. Well, and, I don't get it, but I've heard people at 420 Investors say we're in a new bear market. And, and okay, I kind of get it because mm-hmm. if you if you just if you just look at the history and you didn't understand the context behind it, I get mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. you, this is what happens all the time, all the time. But you know, you're not supposed to say this time is different. I've been saying it for a long time though. Mm-hmm. We we now have both sides of the coin are shinier. The investors have gotten better. We have mm-hmm. institutions coming into the market and that's not because they're speculative, it's because they see a great value. But at the same time, more importantly, we're seeing much better companies with much better metrics. So 
that's what makes it different. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll I, give you, sorry, I'll, I'll just add on to what you just said. I'll give you another piece. Most people aren't talking about, um, the investors are showing up in a big way for the debt offerings. That's true too. And in the past, you know, the, so, I mean, it's still not great, Manish, uh, you know, uh, 7%, but having to give those warrants, push that out to nine and three quarters, that's pretty mm-hmm. junky, but, Mm-hmm. And, and it's not tax deductible either, by the way. Right. Yep. So, uh, but it's uh, it's much better than it was. So progress. It's progress. Right. And I mean, Verano is doing, you know, 10%, maybe 11% kind of debt, straight debt, no warrants. Right. right. Even well, I mean, if you do the GTI, that was clo- nine and three mm-hmm. quarters is what I calculated. It just depends on what, you know, how you value it. How you value warrants, it, yeah. You're going to come up with something in the mid to high nines, maybe 10, but yeah, right. Fair enough. I, what, what I find really encouraging about that is I think those debt investors will end up being equity investors. Why, why, oh, you mean just when they're able to, or when they become comfortable? I think both. I think, I think there's one element of, you know, we want to get to know these companies and build the relationship Mm -hmm. and debt is good risk adjusted return. And I think the second thing is, you know, I talked to somebody who, who's done a couple of these debt things in a big way. His firm's done, you know, $10 million in, in a couple of them. And we had a chat about, you know, in this industry, more than any industry, you really have the opportunity to be like a partner with, mm-hmm. with an MSO. And, you know, when you give them debt, you're, you're getting to understand their business. You're getting to learn, you know, build a relationship with them. Um, and to me, that means if you give it a year, maybe two years, uh, they're going to be in a position to at least want to do the equity. Will they be able to? I don't know. Um, you know a lot of times yeah. these types of investors are pretty pigeonholed in what they do. So, I mean, I hope you're right, but I, I mean, mm-hmm. certain firms that you can't set yourself up as a distressed debt company or a mezzanine lender, and then all of a sudden be buying equity. But, but I'm, I'm sure true. there is some crossover there. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So I, I want to talk about, so we talked about sort of, you know, how the door has swung from euphoria to depression. It, it's uh, not depression. I, I, I want to be clear. Yeah. I mean, some people it is. I, I think, again, I'm going to come back to, to impatience. People, mm. it's frustrating. And it's frustrating for these guys that they want their stock to be higher so they can use it for, you know, deals and stuff like that. It's, it's frustrating. And it's frustrating for the investors that want to make money quickly. And it's frustrating for me when I look at, you know, great fundamentals, it seems, and yet the stocks are boring right now. But they're mm-hmm. not bad. They're just boring right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll say something else, though. I think, you know, on the positive side, there's a lot of stuff we don't think about, right? So first of all, as an investor, you know, the lull in the market, the boringness of the market, as you said, I, I love it. I think that's just a great time to be accumulating. Uh, now, if you put your last dollar in, then, you know, what, what can you do, right? Yeah. But um you know, that's why I always stress having dry powder or even in markets like this, I like to adjust, right? Move one thing to another thing. And, and, and so I really do like that. But um, what I'll also say on, um, uh, on, on negativity and, and sort of where people are at is that all of these things that sort of frustrate us, impatience and stuff. I mean, one, they're a, an opportunity, I think, because that's the inefficiency we could take advantage of. But two, you know, when these values are going sky high, um, it becomes actually a lot harder for these companies to do M&A because suddenly right. people think, well, should I sell my company for $100 million or should I wait and somebody else will offer me 200 because everything is doubling, right? Like, there's right that. Now. And then there, there's also, I mean, I've talked to some people who have sold their companies and 
they're not stupid. They don't want inflated stock. They want to be paid in cheap stock, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I've heard that from multiple people that, you know, an, an unsophisticated, a good business operator who's not financially sophisticated may not understand this nuance, mm-hmm. but somebody who's financially savvy, like, I, I'm going to reveal something. Oh, no, I'm not. That was, a real tease. <laughs> that was a real tease right there, Alan. Yeah. Well, no. Okay. No, I, I don't want to get into trouble of confidentiality things, but let's just say I've been at some point in my life in a negotiation with a publicly traded company mm-hmm. and it was for stock. And I'm really, really glad that I came up with a the right answer. I'll leave it at that. And I'm, I'll just leave it at that and I won't get in any trouble. But uh the, uh, I think that financially savvy people get scared when they see expensive stock. They, it's much easier for somebody mm-hmm. to take a look. I'll, I'll just pick a, a company uh, uh, at random. Uh, like a Columbia that, Care? Yeah, that's a good. That's a great one. So take Columbia Care, who's who's done now th- close to, and they have another pending, and they did a small one in California as well. But they've done over the last year close three, and now another pending one, mm-hmm. and. You know, I think when somebody looks and they see that valuation compared to, say, GTI, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying that they don't make sense, by the way, but, mm-hmm. you know, an objective person can do a financial analysis and make, unless you think Columbia Care has a permanently lower uh, EBITDA margin, uh, like substantially lower, then a financially sophisticated seller would probably rather take Columbia Care stock, all things equal, and all things are not equal, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, company culture is certainly a big part of it. But uh, like, like I said, I've been in a situation before, and when, when you're going to take, uh, uh, instead of having 100% of your own business, and you're going to have a small percentage of something you no longer control that much of, you want to make sure that what you're getting paid in is, is A, a good value, and B, that you really like the big you know, the bigger entity. So absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, you know, we, we touched a lot about kind of generalities. Let's, let's dig into some of the, you know, the names now, because I think that's, uh, would be great to chat with you about. There's something you said, and you said this a couple times, which is, um, you know, investors shouldn't be slaves to valuation. And, yeah. I mean, I, I'm mm-hmm. guilty, guilty, guilty myself. So this is something I've been learning over the years and, mm-hmm. uh, and I, yes. I'm, yeah, I'm like a prime candidate for this, right? I always talk about valuation, first thing out of my mouth. So I want to use three examples here and get your opinion on this. So, the, you know, three companies here that always get asked about, Terrasen, Jushi, and Planet 13. Uh-huh. And I think these are all solid companies, great operators, good management teams, et cetera, all the things we like. Um, but I can't get over how expensive they are from uh-huh. from evaluation. I mean, yeah, and you know me. I'm, I, I would tell you all three of those seem pretty expensive to me. Right. So I, I just love to like through the lens of what you just said, being a slave to valuation, you know, how do you think about these three companies and their valuations, which seem expensive relative to peers? Yeah. So full disclosure, Jushi is a client at New Cannabis Ventures and, and so is Terrison. And, okay. uh, and the only one that I own in a model portfolio is it's the non-client. <laughs> which, so, I mean, I get questions all the time and like I want your audience to understand like if I have a client at New Cannabis Ventures, I hope they're not hearing this because they may get upset. But look, I put people are paying me. I'm going to say this a different way. 
the people are paying me to do something at New Canvas Ventures, and I do that for them, and it does mm-hmm. not include pimping myself. So, mm-hmm. uh, so you know, what I do at 420 Investor should be of no concern to uh, to to any client, and and I don't get any feedback really on that. But I do get sometimes, and I think it's a legitimate question. It's like, hey, because somebody asked it the other day. Hey, you know, I see you have some of your clients in model portfolios. How, how do you be fair about that. And, and of course, everything is disclosed, but you, you you watch me. I mean, this is a great example. You named three companies, two are clients. I don't have a position in either. And the third one, I do have a position. So right. I, I always try to, to really, for my 420 investors who are, you know, in some ways I'm a fiduciary, not, not legally, but mm-hmm. I act like I'm a fiduciary. That's how you think about it. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, so, so as it relates to these companies to get your question. Mm-hmm. So I think when I say don't be a slave to valuation, I think what that means is, you know, especially analytical people like you, that like you can sit there and you see a company seems too expensive. Well, look, none of us knows the future. And so this is the hard part. You can get really comfortable because the analysts have these estimates or the company has this guidance, but there's so much we don't know. Uh, Going back to the point you just made, what if Terrison, I'm going to just kind of say this hypothetically, but I think there's some truth to it. What if they are really good at doing deals? Okay. Jason Wilde, he's, mm-hmm. he, he, let's just say that's his strength. Well, maybe they're going to build value that way. Or I'll throw out another one for Terrison. Yeah, it may seem expensive, but there's the canopy buyout option. And sure. I, I don't put a lot into that, but it's important to understand maybe that's what you know that goes into that. So there's there's some intangibles really that you can't, necessarily besides the fact that you don't know the future there's some specific things you do know about that are really hard to handicap so so that's it on terrace and I, I i think uh you know by any metric it trades expensively if i had to say why it may be too expensive and ignore those intangibles maybe is i think there's a, a broader problem that and i've been trying to talk about this a little bit more i think that a lot of investors really key in on who's the most profitable today. And so Terrison is extremely profitable today. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. earns them maybe a higher multiple. But mm-hmm. over time, the markets are, are going to become more competitive that they're in Pennsylvania, you know, primarily. So you got to be careful. So that's kind of two sides of that one. But uh, the, the, the juicy one, look, I think these guys are really good at retail. And I think, you know, uh, I think also they're they're somewhat smaller than a lot of the other peers, so there's a lot of runway for them. So that's why you kind of have to be careful about looking at the the numbers as they are right now. That's a that's a management team that's proven that they've been able to raise and deploy capital very effectively, sure. and uh, and I I think also uh, you know I I think being retail focused the way they are mm-hmm. may depending on your view about how the world plays out. A lot of people say retail stinks. It's all going to go delivery one day. I don't necessarily believe that. Mm-hmm. But right now, retail, the numbers get whacked on 280E the worst because yeah, sure. uh, because COGS. And then the other thing, uh, that that's, that's a big part of it. And I think the other thing is, and I really don't have a great answer for this. I, I do believe that there are some some assets that are at risk. 
I, I think there's some people take an extreme view. Like once things are legal, every gram of cannabis will be grown in California and shipped across the country, which mm -hmm. that's not true. And uh, but at the same time, it's pretty clear that people that have certain facilities locked up for 15 or 20 years in an expensive sale lease back are going to mm -hmm. be sorry that they did that. But, you know, that's so anyway, when I look at Jushi, they don't have that problem. They're retail focused. They don't have a huge amount invested in growth. And, and by the way, so if you look at the public companies in Virginia, which I mm -hmm. think is one of the most under under understood is that a word under understood it's not misunderstood it's just i think under underappreciated underappreciated is probably better but i don't think it's yes it's underappreciated but i don't think people understand what is so clear that this is like a mini pennsylvania Got and it. everybody's killing it in pennsylvania now except with a huge difference there's four or five players four right now five mm -hmm. soon and of course there will be more but mm -hmm. i gotta tell you virginia and this is one of the reasons i like columbia care and i'm glad for gti virginia to to know with certainty that a state's going legal the way virginia is mm -hmm. allows you as an incumbent to put your pedal to the metal yeah, you and can ramp. ramp scale raise capital build a huge facility right and be like cresco and gti in illinois right, right. so right. and they've got anyway. those they're just Go. the way that the those hsa regions work in virginia they've got like little regional monopolies essentially yeah i don't know with the delivery how that works but yeah so in any event so so maybe when you know when you ask about that one being overvalued that that mm -hmm. may be part of part of it that the people that really like it are picking up on that Virginia story. So a few things there. And then obviously I, I can defend Planet 13 probably the best. And, and I got to tell you, a year and three months ago before the pandemic, I'm sitting here basically saying, what a terrible stock. What a terrible company. No, I didn't say it that badly, but <clears throat> I, I wasn't interested in Planet 13 because I didn't – they were doing really well in Las Vegas and I had been to their store and I understood why it was doing well. It's not my kind of place, but you know, I certainly had a lot of respect for what they had done, mm -hmm. but it seemed super unique to me. It seemed not to be replicable. And mm -hmm. uh, so I, I was calling it a potentially a one hit wonder. And so you, you don't want to invest in, it's kind of like investing in true leave in Florida Mm -hmm. uh, if they're never going to do anything else, although maybe that's a better opportunity than, than what planet 13 was at the time. And so, so I had kind of a, a negative outlook about their future. So I didn't care about it. And I got to tell you, those guys schooled me. The, these, this is maybe in my, in my, from my perspective, one of the best management teams in, mm. in the industry. And, you know, I think we have some really smart people. I know you interviewed Boris the other day and uh, Ben Kovler. Th these, these guys have been following the industry for many years, raising and deploying capital effectively. They know what they're doing. Uh, you know, I sometimes wonder about the operational side and, and might some of these firms be better off bringing in more experienced operators. But leaving that aside, Planet mm -hmm. 13, these guys are owner operators. And I, I guess what changed my perspective 
almost on a dime was how they managed through the pandemic. Sure. It it was unbelievable. And we're not talking about, and it could have killed them, by the way. It it wouldn't have killed them because they have no debt, but it it could have really caused some big problems for them. Absolutely. And they, they didn't just do one or two things. They did about five or six things to that, that really uh, changed my view. And, and, and as I've gotten to, I have more confidence that they can do well outside of uh, uh, Las Vegas. So if I was to summarize. Oh, um, can I finish on that though? Oh, sorry. sorry, So so when you look at that, you may be, maybe, I I doubt you are, but some may be missing that uh, right now about eight or 9% of their market cap is in cash and they have no Mm -hmm. debt and they have no Mm -hmm. sale leasebacks. Right. So then you give them credit sort of for that, that cash, where they put that to work, hopefully is acquisitions that create some value. Right. And I guess as we've had the change of control of the Senate, and uh, I, I don't think things are going to change very quickly. Nothing has changed in my view, the long, complex, drawn-out process. But if I'm wrong, that's one of the ones – like, my, my, like, if I'm wrong, what do I buy? That's one, and Kronos is another. But Sorry, you're saying if you're wrong on on things on legalization, yeah. If it happens quickly, I think Planet mm-hmm. Thirteen is in a great position. Really? Well, why is that? But because I I think you know when you start to, they'll be able to go to Florida like they want to do Miami. Right. That, it'd do great in Miami. Uh, I I just think so. I I think a a lot of the value is actually going to be created on retail, and uh, I don't Got think it. that's a widely held view, but. I think just like in, I think of Planet, I guess I started to think of Planet 13 like Lucky Strike Bowling. And I don't know that much about that company, if it's successful or not. But, you know, they did do very well in terms of rolling out stores and uh, being a destination. And Planet 13 understands, uh, and, you know, they haven't even been able to do their cannabis consumption lounge, but that's coming. So so in, in summary, for Planet 13, for example, um, your thesis is that a lot of value will be captured at retail. So having a really good retail operator, um, which might be expensive on today's metrics, um, which it definitely is, but what that has more assets coming online, they've got the Santa Ana store in California opening up. Um, and it, overall the market cap from an absolute basis is not huge. It's still like, I think it's a billion and change or something like that. So there's, there could still be potential for more upside um, you know, in the future, as they get more assets online, or as things change, or as retail continues to capture the value. Yep, and I, I'll add to it. It's a simple story, and I, mm. I have a lot of appreciation for simplicity. And and I'm, I guess, like I said, I I did not get this right a year ago, and uh, I warmed up to it, and uh, it's been in a nice consolidation for a while. It would not be my my number one thing to buy right now, but I, I do like it. Okay, fair enough. So. Uh, on to another one, you know, we mentioned there briefly, truly, right? And this is something I wanted to pick your brain on because, you know, the patient growth in Florida has been amazing, right? I, I think you use the word stunning, right? Um, yep. We're we're easily doing 6,000 patients, new patients a week, sometimes more. Please uh, don't use that number because here I am in Texas and we only have 5,000 patients in our whole program. <laughs> if I read the Minnesota report and it was like the whole program yep. is 30,000 patients. Yep. And I was like, in a month, you're adding a Minnesota <laughs> program yeah, exactly. to Florida right now. You know, it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, but, but so, 
I think somebody said, by the way, you have to be dead to get a medical card in Texas. So probably I, I thought that was a, a good one. But um, so the program's growing by leaps and bounds. Trulieve has proven to be a phenomenal operator. Uh, you know, even me, who was an early, early-ish investor and, and gung-ho on the company, I didn't appreciate how good they were, right? Uh, continue, continue to open stores. So, and yet, you know, now they have this harvest deal and we'll see, you know, we talked last episode about sort of value creation and how Kim can, you know, infuse that, those uh, assets with capital and, you know, push margins on those by using more cultivation. And yet, so those, that's all the positive, right? The stock trades very cheaply in my view to 22 and probably 23. Um, and yet, you know, in July, her husband, her husband is going to be going on trial, uh, which is, you know, been it delayed. It keeps getting delayed. Times. Yeah. Yeah. But this time it's, this is, this trial date was set in January and this one's not going anywhere. Like Florida's fully reopened. Um, Got it. Yeah. I would be surprised if it was delayed. Let's put it that way. Uh, how should investors or how do you think about this in terms of, you know, if like I hold some true leave now a good amount because of I owned a harvest and it got acquired. Right. So. Um, how should we think about that? You know, it already seems like a pretty good value, and yet there's this potential for this big negative headline. Yeah, and I, and I don't know. I've I've read this alarming lang- language about you know how she's prepared to step down if required, and this or that. You know, it's in their filings. I'm like, wow, is that really a, a likelihood, or is that just conservative Kim? You know, just covering all the bases, which I think it is, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's tough. I, I, I don't, uh, you know, that's a, there's a, the thing about her husband that does bother me is, is less about uh, this issue and the potential for, for Kim to be dragged into it. Then, you know, I just think it was not the best practice to necessarily use her husband's construction firm for you know, tens of millions of dollars of, of projects, just bad form. But uh, I, I hear you. But the flip side is, you know, the company, part of the company's success has been their ability to open stores and scale their grow. And clearly this guy's gotten the job done. Yeah, true. No, no, I'm just saying though, it just looks bad. I'm not saying it was bad. I, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I don't, neither of those, neither the uh, FBI uh, issue with, JT, I think is his name. JT or, Burnett, yeah. Or uh, the use of his construction firm is really part of my thesis one way or the other, honestly. So I, I think this is one of these things people talk about a lot, but uh, I, I don't think that's really weighing on the stock. I don't think it is. But but will it? I mean, that's my like, – well, to me, knows? I don't <laughs> – I can't hmm. tell you. I mean – even if he gets convicted, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it pull you know pulls back to her. Yeah, it, it's a it's a tricky one, right? And it's one that look, it's not I suppose not polite to talk about it, you know. And, yeah. and I, I, you know, I feel like it's not that talked about. I mean, I asked somebody recently who did the institutional um, round with Truly. I said, what percentage of the other investors in there do you think know about the trial even? And he said, probably about fifty fifty. Yeah, which is kind of surprising to me, right? Mm. So if if a Chicago Tribune article can bring GTI down like that, but just for a day, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you think about what happened there, that was a green candle that day. But anyway, I, I hear you. I just I, I think there's other things going on, and uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm going to agree with you. That stock 
looks cheap. I'm, I was never, I, I have no problem with Harvest as a company per se. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had a problem with the leadership maybe. I think Steve White made a lot of mistakes. I, yep. I bet he would agree. Mm -hmm. But and I know people internal there would agree. But, but I had a problem with, I was worried about how they were going to deal with the debt. There's some other issues. And, and all, I, all I can say is, even though I didn't want to own Harvest, which in hindsight was wrong because I didn't see True Leaf buying them, I didn't think that was possible. And by the way, there may be some major dispositions required there. But, uh, but uh, I will say, I think for True Leaf, that was a really smart deal. And what do you like about that deal? So, uh, you know, clearly they want to be bigger in Pennsylvania, and that helps. Uh, they're gonna, I don't think they're going to be able to be as big as they are. Uh, one plus one is not going to be two. It's going to be 1.85 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But Because I don't know. You know, regulators can change things, but they, they're over the limits there. But, no, I think she wanted to be in a in, in an, uh, different region. Mm -hmm. And in a big way. And look, Harvest is the biggest in Arizona, but they're not dominant. And uh, But har here, here's what I like. There's two things, three things. Number one, I think that TrueLeave is pretty uniquely positioned to buy Harvest and to deal with the, the issues that they have. Number two, I think just like Columbia Care had a big knock uh, with respect to being too medically focused and not adult use, I, I think the same can be said for TrueLeave. Uh, which now mm. they have their first adult use store uh, just opened or it's opening next week, uh, opening next week in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. So it gets them that. And, you know, when I look at companies, the culture should be similar or the, the, if you ask him what's important and you ask Steve White and the board of directors there what's important, both, both those companies put retail very high. I, I know there's more to it than that, but you know, so many of these MSOs have different approaches, and I like the fact that these two companies share that. Whether you agree with it, that's you know the way it should be or not, I don't think it matters. I think what's important is it's pretty clear that Kim understands the situation well, and it's not just like you know you see sometimes M and A where they're just uh, you know buying cheap revenue. We mm -hmm. see that in Canada a lot, mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. appears. But this this seems to be strategically a good fit for not only the adult use in a different market, but also that put the patient first or the customer first mentality and mm -hmm. really make a good retail experience. Both of these companies, in my opinion, excel at retail. And uh, that's, that's good insight. Thank you. And, and I, I just want to close it out by saying, you know, for clarity, um, the way TrueLeave is performing right now, the way the numbers look, the way the financials look, if this stock gets hammered, you know, in the trial, post-trial, whatever, um, which I, I think it very well could, um, I would be a buyer. Yeah. I just, just want to go on record and say that. I mean, that it's already trading, I think, at like 12 times next year's EBITDA, like depending on how you do. I don't even know what the number is, but it's cheap. It's very it's, cheap. You know, doing the harvest deal, and I'm a little, I want to be careful because uh, I do think that they're going to have to, I, even in Florida, who knows? I, and you raised a good point to me uh, a while ago, not not on this call, but mm -hmm. separately about, uh, you know, it's possible that Florida will let them just buy the assets and have have the assets and just sell off the license. So so maybe they can keep. And Harvest has been ramping it up in Florida. So that's going to yep. 
really help. And I don't, I haven't looked at it closely enough to know if like their stores are next door to each other or anything silly like that. But, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, but do they really need harvest production facility down there that has a sale lease back on it anyway? So they, they may end up selling that off and what right. have you, but, but, uh, I, I think that I want to be careful not to jump in like the point that you raised, jump in and then find out that I'm wrong and the people do care about this. But more importantly for me, I want to wait and hear more about the, the timeline for the close and if there's going to be these dispositions in Pennsylvania that I, I, I think are, are, are highly likely, actually. But I, I got to tell you, for, for someone who has been underexposed to truly for way long, and uh, has been impressed. Uh, and, and I had a thesis too about the difficulty. Uh, okay, well, honestly, what's happening right now is, is what I kind of expected, that investors were going to start to worry about the sustainability of the company's margins and growth rate. I think right. that's what's happening. And so for me to see the harvest deal, I, I, think, I think that that really makes me feel more positive about the company. And I don't think it would be just because of that, but I think... You know, we were talking earlier about companies that want to be acquired. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some places I thought True Leaf should go that for whatever reason, they're not there. Mm-hmm. And it's been very disappointing to me uh, as a fan of the company and, to you know, for looking for a reason to get more excited about their future, you know, to see them not get Virginia, uh, to see them. I thought it would have been a great idea for them to buy Virginia. Uh, uh, Vireo when it was a lot cheaper and mm-hmm. to get Minnesota, which right. yes, it's not a great market now, but there is no better type of market mm-hmm. than Minnesota, which does have some positive catalysts. And I know it's a small state and everything, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying this, I think would help any sort of sellers of businesses feel a little bit better about the company as well, you know, to be a little bit broader now and to have not be so reliant upon a single state. Sure. No, that that's a that's a good color. So going on to another. And by the way, sorry, I saw you uh, through NCV the the newsletter. Um, the email you sent out, I think it was today, was about yep. Florida. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Can I you, mean, I, I'm I'm blown away by mm-hmm. something I I never I should have put this together, but I never realized it. There, ninety eight percent of every gram of either flour or product is sold by an MSO. That doesn't that blow you away? I sorry, I don't understand. The MSOs control 98% of the volume in the market. Meaning like there's like, you know, uh, like Vitacan and that's it. Right. Okay. Okay. Got it. There's no other state where the MSOs have that much control. Right. Got it. Got it. Got it. it. I think it's just because those, you know, some of the, well, I I guess, and that was the interesting thing to me about Florida was that, um, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of, or at least three public companies you could buy that had direct Florida, not just exposure, but was were basically pure you play. know pur- pure play Florida, right? And that was right. It was four, I guess. It was True Leave, Bluma, Consortium, and Liberty. That the were Consortium all... broader, but yeah, yeah. But if you know, like they did fifteen million of revenue. That's where it is. You're right. Last, last I mean, quarter, and they did thirteen and a half of that in Florida. Right. So it's just you know what I mean. So you're it's clo- it's close enough, right? But you're getting Texas and a little like bit of PA. Like they'd be smarter to just to close all that other stuff and. <laughs> I think that Texas license is pretty valuable. So, oh uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. But uh, sorry, what uh, could you talk about that article? I didn't have a chance to read it. Oh no, it was just 
the thrust of it was just that the Florida market, I was just trying to explain why. Uh, so it's funny, Joel uh, wanted me to do an article a while ago, not for our, our uh, newsletter, but just, you know, what were some of the big takeaways from earnings season? And this is the kind of thing I don't necessarily want to share on New Cannabis Ventures, honestly. It's, uh, that's the kind of thing I want to share with my subscribers, if, mm. if I have that kind of view. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spend a lot of time telling the world, you know, I listened to, to 20 calls and this was the, these were the three most important points. I, I get it. People would like that article, but I don't know if I want to do that. So, uh, but I, I did kind of think that that was a, I, I, I'm going to confess something. I've written these, uh, I don't think from day one, I don't know that we had this kind of content from day one, but I would say from, we do this every Sunday. We've been doing it, uh, since we started, basically. So we're talking about five and a half years now. Mm -hmm. I have to come up with something interesting every Sunday. And it is, the confession is, I tell Joel every week, I think I just came up with my last yeah. idea. <laughs> That's like, I'm out. I got nothing. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, the point, though, was I heard a lot on the earnings calls about Florida. Sure. People are really, and, and you know, one of the reasons I didn't really position to be pro true leave uh over uh you know a year ago or so or longer was i i listened to the calls and everybody you hear joe lusardi from cure leave saying how we're going after true leave in florida and and uh and i think the pandemic played a role in the capital crunch a, a lot of things happened mm -hmm. that uh i think uh kept true leave uh uh you know away from its competition I, that's another thing. We didn't say it, Manish, but I, I really do think that, you know, speaking of True Leave, that there could be more competition. But that wasn't the point of the article. The, the article was really just that what a great market and the MSOs are 100% of the market effectively. And, uh, you know, uh, I think that there's a lot of reasons for concern right now mm -hmm. with year over year comparisons of growth rates. You know, we see with slowing in, in certain markets, it's been kind of scary uh, we don't have a lot of history on seasonals and things like that, and what's what, it, what what's it look like in a pandemic. So some, sometimes you look at the monthly data, whether you're looking at Canada or whether you're looking at states. But I remember in November, there was like a sudden slowing across every domain, and we're not talking about looking at October to November. We're talking about October to October, and then November to November. And okay. There was another slowing in February, and I get it. February was a day shorter this year than the year before due to leap year. But mm -hmm. still, it's it can be a little scary when you think about that we had all this demand a year ago uh, for a lot of reasons uh, uh, that surprised people, and, and it went into the summer. And you know, how do stimulus checks affect this? How do people being at home affect this? How does the 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 you know, general psychology of a nation in a pandemic affected? And uh, how does it, when you can't spend your money at restaurants or vacationing, how does that affect it? So sure. all these things sure. that lead to a little bit of concern about what markets are going to look like in the future. And, you know, so when I see things like Florida, which is just defying all logic, right? I mean, mm -hmm. all expectations, not necessarily logic. Mm -hmm growing and it's it's not slowing it is not slowing it's been speeding all. up yeah i mean so. from a year ago though but you know so uh, no but I, if you just look at the four week or 13 week growth mm -hmm. rates it is solid 
So, yeah. so anyway, I, I, I want to talk about that because, you know, people pushed back on uh, GTI. And maybe one of the reasons why GTI has been kind of stuck in the mud. People saw a 2% same store sales growth rate in Q1 compared to Q4 and thought that the company is losing its magic or mm-hmm. something. And I, I always say, you know, there's so many growth levers for the top line, mm-hmm. much less the bottom line mm-hmm. in the cannabis mm-hmm. industry. And same store sales is not at the top of my list. It's really not. There's right. this, The growth comes from so many other uh, sources. But people were freaking about that. You should, mm-hmm. I mean, you can hear an analyst voice on that call. Interesting. So let, let's go to another subject, which is, you know, one thing. Uh, we think about or talk about a lot is, is the idea of capital allocation, right? So mm-hmm. we only have so many dollars to invest. So oh, we, I thought you were talking about the companies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. We, it, well, this is a capital allocation industry. Right. And, and I, I guess what, yeah, we as investors, I mean, right. So when we're allocating our portfolio, um, you know, we're obviously, we know we want to buy cannabis, but the question is, you know, which company, right? Is it, is it, and often it's, kind of the weighting. Do we go for a big MSO or do we go for a smaller MSO? Um, and this is a debate I have all the time because the mid cap. Yeah, I, I heard you ask Boris that question. Of course, <laughs> you've got a certain answer from him. I'll, I'll try to give a more objective answer. I don't have a conflict of interest on that one. Sure. But, but I, just to close the thought, I mean, you know, the, the mid cap MSOs, they seem really, really cheap. But now the big companies seem pretty cheap too. I think the peer set, I think the anal, I read on one of the notes, it was like, 11 or 12 times next year's EBITDA, um, which, you know, for a big company like a Trulieve or a GTI, that seems really cheap. Right. So what's the better deal? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I've been preaching this whole idea that it, historically the cannabis stocks have all moved in unison. And I've been saying for over a year now, that expect that to happen less and less and less. So I guess rather than try to answer that question, I would just say, be cognizant of what I just said. And so I, the way I think about it is don't try to pick between the large and the small and the medium MSOs. Pick a little bit from all three of those as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to determine. I, I think you made a good point when you were asking Boris the question about, uh, you know, a smaller market cap uh, you know, you can make more with it, just mm-hmm. kind of law of large numbers. Right. And, the flip side of that is, no, we're going to put them out of business. But guess what? That doesn't work here. Right. And I, I think he did not give you a good answer because you, you get into these weird things like Massachusetts where you have a, a canopy cap. Mm-hmm. So who's going to benefit more from getting into Massachusetts, you know, one third of the way there? You know, a huge market cap company or a small one? Obviously mm-hmm. the small one because you're capped out in what you can do in Massachusetts effectively. So mm-hmm. that, that that's just one example, but it, it's such a weird industry because of it's the state by state and because a lot of the states have caps like Pennsylvania on the retail stores. Right. Uh, so because of this, and I was just thinking about this this morning, uh, I'm always having to think about, you know, you think it's bad having to write uh, a, a, a short little thing every Sunday morning, I write it on Saturday, but I also share three feature articles. I didn't talk about that earlier for 420 investor where, you know, I'm trying to really go deep on something. And so I, what I was thinking about writing about was kind of this, this whole idea. And I've, I've said this before in a lot of forums, but our, our industry 
is not a winner take all industry because of these struct for now because right. of these structural impediments and mm-hmm. uh, it really does argue for more interest in smaller companies and and I didn't say it earlier but you know look at little planet 13 and it's only in one market about to be two yep and it just seems like if you're going to pay up for something uh, I get it a lot of people want to pay up for the largest companies because they can do M and A and financial engineering, what have you, but it's just not the case. So I'm not going to tell you not to buy any of the largest ones because I I think you make a good point. Right now, some of the largest ones look inexpensive. And actually, all of them. I mean, I like all Mm -hmm. of them right now. Mm -hmm. But are they going to be the best stocks? I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no either, but it's not clear to me. You know, it's kind of funny when you say I like all of them because, you know, I was talking to my friend about this yesterday and I was like, yeah, like it's all good. You know, it's <laughs> like it's it's that's kind of the weird position that we're in right now where the fundamentals are great and the prices are soft. It's like it all seems good. And now, you know, obviously there's there's some things you have to avoid, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you kind of sit there thinking like it just seems like everyone's going to do pretty well here. And now we're just kind of nitpicking and trying to figure out, you know, who's going to outperform you. Right. And and. You know, and to to be fair, there's some idea as well with like the True Leaves or the GTIs. Like you know, they're SEC registered. They can be the first out of the gate for uplisting. Mm-hmm. And and from a momentum perspective, like to, you know, back to what your original comment about being a slave to valuation. It's like yeah, they're bigger, but like you know, large scale investor interest might. I mean, will probably go there first, right? If, exactly. In, in yeah. any so kind own of some of them and right. didn't do that trade down. Right. But I, I think you make a good point. They look. You know, for the leaders, they look really good right now. Mm-hmm. And they they have a lower cost of capital, and that's probably not going to change. It's getting, mm-hmm. you know, actually at the margin, it may get even better for them, that advantage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I think, and I have been going heavier on those companies right now, but I think if, you know, the Schumer bill was to come and things took off, I would probably, you know, if those rallied really hard ahead of everybody, I'd probably reallocate to the middle or the bottom. Yeah. So when I look at the whole space right now, really the only sore thumb I see are the largest LPs. That's it. <laughs> oh, they're always dragging us down. Eh? I mean, that's always the, I, mean, I shouldn't say dragging us down, but they're always having this valuation issue, it seems. It seems. I mean, I must be the dumbest guy covering the space for eight years, but I don't get it. I really, yeah. Yeah. I don't get canopy growth. I really, I just don't get it. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so I want to go on to, you know, coming to the end here, there's just a couple of items I want to touch on with you. So you know, you were the one who really helped me understand the power of this sector uh, of the the ancillary NASDAQ listed companies. Yep. And uh, I would love to hear you give a, just a little, you know, primer for people who might not understand why it's interesting to look at this, you know, at this sector of the of the ancillary companies. Sure. Well, OK, so two pieces to it. First of all, the it doesn't matter what I'm about to say, which is really what interests me. But what really matters is the way things work, right? So let me get the way things work first. I, I think I alluded to this earlier. When the money's coming into the market and without license, it's just whoever wants to bet on cannabis, if they're at Robinhood, they can't buy GTI. Right. So, so some of the people say, well, why the hell do I want to buy a Canadian LP? No, I sure. want to buy Grogen. It's leveraged. So, so anyway, there's the that when the market's getting hot and the people that can only buy the most liquid names or buy names that are on NASDAQ mm-hmm. uh, uh, or New York Stock Exchange, 
then they benefit. So, so you don't have to believe or, or, or adhere to anything else I'm going to say. But for an investor, I love these ancillary companies because they don't pay 280E. I've already told you, I think mm-hmm. that resolving these issues is going to take a while. And it's very real. Uh, you know, I looked at Cresco today. They a net income of uh, minus, I'm sorry, pre-tax income of minus 12 million. I think is what it was, and a tax of fifteen million, mm-hmm. so net income of minus twenty-seven or something like that. I'm like, wow. It, I mean, it's very real. If it's, if this goes on like this for ten years, it, it, it's like paying uh, a, neg- a negative dividend, right? So, sure. uh, so in any event, uh, that's one. They don't pay two eighty e, and it, they are on these higher exchanges, so mm-hmm. you get that benefit I was just talking about. Mm-hmm. Th- there's also the 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 fact that they uh, have more scalable businesses uh, that because they can ship across state lines or, right. or what have you, so mm-hmm. they don't have the silo problem that uh, MSOs have. Uh, they they also uh, you know is someone who used to invest uh, for other people's money, you know, invest other people's money, institutional uh, investor. I kind of liked especially back at this time that I'm about to talk about, but I, I was doing this in 2000, 2001, 2002. And, you know, I didn't want to buy the Cisco's of this world or, or whatever. They, they seemed really expensive then. And I didn't want to have to bet on these technologies, but I knew that the distributors, for example, tech data would be there no matter what. So, mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing. I don't think we have the extreme valuation issue right now, but the fact of the matter is that some of these ancillary companies are a lot cheaper. Forget about 280E or not. Just they are a lot cheaper. And it allows an investor to participate in the space without picking the winners. So so the pick and shovels thing that people like to say. I just don't like to say it that way, but Right. Right. So in in summary, basically, you know, the structural component of, you know, being NASDAQ listed. It's the, you know, financial component, not having the 280E burden, um, you know, the scalability of the business. Valuation. Valuation in terms of some. It, typically they, ch- they trade a lot cheaper on a sales multiple. But I've also noticed these companies also really usually have pretty weak margins compared to the MSO. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair. You know, you look at the Grogen, you know, where it's trading on a price to sales may be slightly lower, but it's the, the, the EBITDA margin is, is Insane. lower as well. Yeah, yeah, but the, the price EBITDA does like crazy high. Right. But I, I wasn't talking about that one necessarily. But Right, right, right. So I, I like Scott's Miracle Grow. You got to kind of think it through to sure. figure out what the what you're paying on the cannabis mm-hmm. side. But mm-hmm. but that I think that's a fair example. But it doesn't have the same growth rate exactly. I, right. It's hard to tell. Right. Hard but tell. It, that's a great that's a great one because I think you brought this to my attention is that if they ever spin out that Hawthorne business, I mean, that business was doing like I think over a billion run rate. And I haven't yep. looked at it in a while, so it's probably much higher now. But, I mean, that alone could be a really valuable business if they ever spin that out. Yeah, it's much better than Hydroform, or it's much better than Hydroform has been historically. But, you know, what? there's been, we started, uh, you may not even know this, but we started a ancillary index. Uh, there are 14 names in mm. it today. On Monday, there will be 15. We're seeing uh, a lot. This has been one of my complaints about the, the way the industry's developed, that so many investors are, are, have been overly focused on the production of cannabis, not even on the retail of cannabis, just the 
They want to, you know, the cannabis growers, that's what we want to buy. And, uh, you know, we have not seen the, the capital markets really roll out the welcome mat for these ancillary companies. Hmm. Now we're starting to see it and there's going to be more. So we started this index a couple months ago and, uh, you know, I, I like some of the names in there right now. And I, it doesn't mean you can't own the MSOs, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I, I think it's, you know, when you're building a diverse portfolio, uh, it's good to have different choices. And this is something I'm actually doing right now is, is when I look at my portfolio, I'm really, really, I had almost no NASDAQ exposure. I was really underweight. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm moving some things around, you know, not to go crazy, but to have a good position. Um, and and there are some really interesting opportunities on there that I think really haven't, you know, to your point, people haven't really paid the attention to. Um, and this goes back to, you know, on, on 420i, you know, a lot of the information in this industry that you want is already out there, right? It's in filings, it's in videos, it's in interviews. But, um, you know, there's so much of it. It's like drinking from a fire hose. And like, yep. it's first of all, I don't even know how you do it. I don't know how you're able to keep up with all this stuff. Because um, it's full time. I don't have anything else to do. I have no yeah, life. But, yeah, I, but even then, I mean, you know, I, even, even if you're full time and working two jobs, it's just so much of this stuff, right? Um, and, and I know nobody can keep up with everything, but that to me is really interesting. The fact that there are these companies out there and I'm, I'm not really ready to talk about the ones I'm looking at, but, um, but that no one seems to be paying attention to. Right. And it's, it's, you go, Hey, if this, these things kind of come together, this could get really interesting. Yep. So I agree. So on, you know, you touched on federal legalization. Um, one thing I've heard you say for a long time, as long as I can remember is that federal legalization is going to take a lot longer than everybody thinks and, you know, kind of back to, you know, curb your enthusiasm. Can you, could you share your view on that? Yeah. And, and by the way, this is not a bad thing. That's where I think people sure. really uh, get twisted because they think when I say it's going to take a long time that I'm speaking negatively and I'm like, Hey, thank God. Now I want to be really clear. Mm -hmm. I, I wish it was yesterday from the extent of we shouldn't be locking anybody up. Yes. So, I, hear you. I want to be really clear about that. I'm not wishing for this. I'm just telling you the way this it's going to This is the reality. Be. This is, yeah. you know, we always say so, you don't, don't fight reality. Exactly. So uh, the, th there's so many issues. I, and I always point to, you know, the best example I can come up with is, is Canada. And yes, mm -hmm. things are done differently. But Canada had a legal federal program. And then they had a mandate I mean, there's three things on Justin Trudeau's platform, cannabis being one of them. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. all that, having a federal program and having a mandate, and it still took them three years. Mm -hmm. So what we have right now is very different. What we have is a whole bunch of different states doing things differently. Some of these states are making a lot of money. So they kind of like the way things are right now. So there's all sorts of questions that come up with legalization. Social equity is going to be... An increase. I've been talking about this for years, and mm -hmm. it, it's it's. I mean, to to the extent I was saying this a couple of years ago, I underestimate. I think this is going to be a huge thing. If we look at totally. how New York just rolled out their program, mm -hmm. uh, or, or they haven't rolled it out, but announced it. <laughs> so, the social equity, the interstate commerce, the taxation issues, and, and here's another one. Unfortunately, FDA. Mm -hmm. I mean. My God, the FDA has killed the CBD industry. They could kill the THC industry. Right, right. And right, they've right. killed the CBD industry without even doing anything. I don't think they meant to kill it, but they just did. 
Well, just the way they work, there, you know, it takes them years to make a decision on exactly. anything. Exactly. Right? So you have you have basically a lack of policy. So, uh, you know, right now the way the cannabis industry works is pretty good. I think the industry does a great job of paying its taxes. It does a, a great job of creating quality product that the consumers like. All this is moving in the right direction. I think that when it comes to quality and testing and things like that, there, things are going fine. But you start to throw on these things, you know, and you, I, I listen to these LPs like uh, the Aurora CEO saying how, you know, uh, these MSOs have done a good job, but they don't know how to do, uh, you know, GMP and mm-hmm. <laughs> all that. I, I hope that that's not the way it plays out. And I get why the Canadian LPs want to speak about that mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but if, if we're going to have an, an over-the-top fda regime it could be problematic for these companies so yeah, I, anyway I mean, un, I, unquestionably i think it would be a big problem so that's why i i say uh i'm like i wish they'd quit locking people up today right, right. and unfortunately i have to tell you if they do that that's also not good for the cannabis industry which well, is if they, another if they, problem Right. I mean, right now it's a highly regulated industry, right? So yeah. if suddenly, you know, people can just sell it openly on the corner, exactly. no store required. I mean, you exactly. know, you're not, you're not making margin on that, right? Right. So I'm just saying it, it's, it, it's, it's a mess. So this federal legalization, I'm going to just leave it at, it's extremely complex. And I right. think, I think it's great that we're making progress towards this. And, and, you know, even in, uh, in Texas, for example, mm-hmm. Uh, Austin, Dallas, and Houston, uh, I won't say that they don't arrest anybody, but it, it's gone way down. And because when hemp was made legal, there were some testing issues and it made it very difficult. And for you have basically liberals running the prosecutorial uh, elements of all three of those large cities. And, mm. and they just basically said, we're not, this is not what we're going to do. And I wish the whole world would, would go that way while we try to figure this out. But mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, it's and, a can of worms. Yeah, and on that point, I mean, um, like hemp flour. Um, you know, if you go to a store and you see them selling hemp flour, which is totally legal, right? Um, not necessarily, but okay. Is, is it not? Sorry, uh, it depends on the state and who's right. Selling sorry, it fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah. I'm saying if you go to a state where federally it's, legal, it's, it, yes, it's federally right. legal. Um, you know, that hemp flour looks exactly like weed. Oh, I know. There's been uh, examples of. Uh, seizures and destruction of uh, hemp, of uh, hemp product. Right. I mean, I I find it like the minute I saw that, I was like, I don't know how they're going to police any of this stuff because they yeah. could be selling, you know, they could be selling cannabis like it's THC hemp. Cannabis. It's hemp. It's yeah. Hemp. I mean, how do you know unless you test it, right? I mean, it's a right. it's a challenging one. So, um, okay. So, so coming to the end here, uh, Alan, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about that that you've I've heard you talk about, and and I wanted to get you know maybe a little bit deeper on it, which is the idea of margins and, you know, the idea of, you know, are today's high EBITDA margins, does it matter that much? And you said something, I think, on the weekend video, which is it's not the uh, margin that's important, but it's the level of EBITDA over time. Exactly. I think what I was trying to say was if you look out five to 10 years and let's just I'm going to make a really easy example. Let's say that you, you're an operator that's 100 percent Pennsylvania today huge margins there. And uh, at the same time, the other uh, company is 100% in California. 
and it's a tough market. The, the, the growth rate's not as high and the margins are lower right For now. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so, so, and it's, I don't have a great answer for this necessarily, but intellectually, I can kind of think about it. Like, do you want to pay a high multiple of EBITDA for Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. or do you want to, or shouldn't it be higher in California, maybe? That's not the way it is right now, but you, you know what I'm saying? It, it, actually, sometimes it can be that way. It, it all depends. But I just think investors need to have a, generally, a better appreciation for, to not get sucked into paying top valuation for top margin because you know five years from now the margins are going to be a lot lower and the growth a lot slower mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and they could miss out on you know you were making fun of minnesota earlier yeah because it's so the program's <laughs> so terrible which it is but the reality is i think there's four and a half million people in that state and i think it's more it's like six and i think it's six and oh really it's a pretty big so, state well like it, if that's average if that's true but it, anyway so whatever it is, it, it, you know, people don't care about it, obviously, because the program's so bad right now. But uh, imagine you had a business there like Vireo does, mm-hmm. and you know, you look at what their revenue is right now, and their EBITDA is going to be pretty bad right. right now. Right. And so then you, you're like, well, I'm not really interested in that. And so it's trading at a pretty low price to sales, uh, uh, the way I look at it. You mm-hmm. know, who knows? Because there are mm-hmm. multiple states. But the way I look at things. When I look at, you know, they're adding flour. So when mm-hmm. I look at what's going to happen in 2022, uh, they're probably doing, without any other changes, uh, $40 million, uh, a year. And the market's valuing it at $100 million or something like that, if, the way I do the math. Mm-hmm. That seems pretty stupid to me. But mm-hmm. anyway, I, I think that the, the bigger point is I think invest – okay, I've complained a lot because very few companies – are telling us what we deserve to know, yes. which is where are you making your your revenue? I mean, let's just start there. Right. It'd be nice if they gave us even the, the EBITDA. Break it out by market, pay. yeah. But so I get it legally, technically, they're not required to do so. But uh, I'm going to tell you that this is, as I said earlier, this is a, well, I don't think I said it. It's a, this is a holding company operation. That's what mm-hmm. we're talking about portfolio allocation. These guys are portfolio managers. They have their operation in Pennsylvania is very different from their operation in uh, Florida, which is very different from their operation in California. These Mm -hmm. are independent businesses. It's a holding company. And if this was GE, then, you know, is is their airplane division, their Mm -hmm. oil and gas, they're going to give you that information or closer to home. Scott's, they, they're going to break it out for sure. Hawthorns and the rest of their business. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that our industry deserves this, or the investors in our industry deserve this. And I've mm-hmm. talked to some of these guys and they're like, you're right. Let, as soon as the other guy does it, I'll do it too. Right. <laughs> right, right. They all play it pretty close to the chest. And I think you've really been at the forefront of banging the drum saying, guys, we need better disclosure. Yep. And I don't understand why the analysts covering the space don't get it. But you know what? I bet they get whispers. Mm. You know, they they talk to the management and, you know, was it reasonable to assume? You know, <laughs> yeah. I think that's how it works, honestly. Got it. Got it. Fair enough. All right. Well, Alan, coming to the very end here, um, you know, as always, we really appreciate you coming on, you know, sharing 
the wisdom and the thoughts and you know i'll say again for anyone, scars the battle scars the battle scars hey that's how you learn right yep so i'll, I'll say i'll say again for anyone i, I mean I, I know we've had a lot of listeners sign up at 420i but um i you know you know if you, if you told me i could only have one resource in the cannabis industry that would be it so i can't recommend it highly enough um alan any final words any thought you want to leave people with uh, you know, I, I want to speak to the, I don't know your crowd mm-hmm. of followers exactly, but you said a lot of people showed up in February and, and left probably mm-hmm. from, from, yep. but for any of you that are still around, I just, I want to go back to this impatience thing. I, mm-hmm. I think it really is the worst mistake investors can make. I make it sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I, and I don't want to toot my horn too much because, uh, the, uh, I'm not even sure that these were ultimately so great, but GW Pharma, I waited and waited and waited for for that to play out the way I expected to. And it finally did. And Mm -hmm. trying to get the timing on that was impossible, but ultimately they were acquired by another pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. And I just think, you know, we are, as Manish said earlier, we're our own worst enemies, look in the mirror. And I think that this is the worst time to be impatient right mm-hmm. now. Uh, I've been following the space for eight years. Don't always like the prospects for where we are and mm-hmm. certainly often don't like a lot of the companies. I've never had an easier time being comfortable with the valuations. Mm. And so that's what I want to leave you with. And I, I mean, I guess I should also say the problem with this industry is, you know, you get whacked on the head and it's out of the blue, the, the vaping crisis, the sure. pandemic things like that. So, you know, nothing's etched in stone, but I just feel like right now, I, I, I feel so badly for some of my subscribers because I, I, I understood it better a year ago when it really did seem dismal mm-hmm. right now. It seems super bright. The only thing that's not working right this minute, the way people want it to is the stock prices. And if they were working, though, this is always what I say to my friends, you know, when we have this conversation, I was like, listen, if it was working, you would be trying to put more money in. Yep. You know, you'd be, you'd be <laughs> so lamenting. So put it in now at the lower price. Yeah, you'd be like, like for me, when this was getting away from us in February, I was kicking myself because I said, you know, I have more money to put in and I don't have as much in as I want. Um, and it was so hard to just be patient. It was yep. so hard to sit and wait and say, okay, no, I got to let this this come down. I got to let this digest. And then I can, and you know, I'm very happy I did. And and I've been able to put more money in. And now I'm at the point where, you know, I'm, I'm almost fully invested in this industry and there's not that much more I want to put in. Um, maybe I will a little bit over time, but um, you know, that's, and, and yet people are, are really uh, I think not appreciating what you just said, that the fundamentals of the companies have never been better. It's a great time to be showing up and investing in this industry and I'll leave it, you know, Alan, you posted something uh, after the Q1 uh, results and you said, you know, everyone's always asking about where the next catalyst is and it's right here in front of you in these financial results. Yep, that is so true. I think that's just a, a great way to end it. Alan, as always, appreciate your insight, appreciate what you provide to the industry. Appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts. CINpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys. Thanks. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. 
It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decision, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and st strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.